0: All right. Well hello everybody. It's good to see you here and good to imagine all of you who are online. My name is Wade Giffen. If we've not had a chance to meet, I have the privilege and honor of serving here at Trinity as one of your pastors. glad to be with you today and um, I'm the one that uh, is bringing the message as we continue our journey in this new sermon series. I'm going to be reading from the Psalms today, so if you have your Bible with you or you're following along on uh, your phone or however you'd like to do that, I'm going to be at Psalm 139. 139, it's towards the end of the, of the book of, uh, of Psalms, <clears throat> and um, in this, Psalm 139, it's often called the psalm of the inescapable god the inescapable god and you hear that in the words of the psalmist um, and i hope you will hear that too especially want you to listen for at the very end of the portion that i'm going to read today um, god's presence even before we are aware of it psalm 139 goes like this "O lord you have searched me and known me you know when i sit down and when i rise up You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, lead and guide us in this moment, so that words that we share in this moment would be your word for each of us, and your word only. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. as pastor katie has identified as we started service today we're continuing this new series called good ancestor Um, last week while i was taking a little bit of vacation time uh, pastor katie did a splendid job of setting the groundwork for the journey you see this series is about encouraging us to become a good ancestor And to do that now as a person who lives in the awareness of their responsibility, maybe even obligation, we have to the people who will come after us. Essentially, to become a person who has made the intentional choice to live this kind of life. So, essentially, we are asking the question how are we to use our lives? To leave a legacy. What legacy do you want to leave? And the one thing that I we always kid about in worship planning working on this series is like the old pizza commercial, what do you want on your what? Tombstone. <laughs> Those of you who are in the room and not online don't know that the video introductions to each of these services in the series I shot in a cemetery. And that was on purpose. What legacy do you want to leave? So today, um, as Pastor Katie indicated last week, we will be taking a deeper dive each week into one particular area and exploring a way that we can choose to live that out, that we have the capacity to make an impact in the world, that we have the chance to be a good ancestor in the way we we do that. And so um, this week, the focus is this. It's parenting, parenting. Now, I know, I know, a lot of you are in the same situation I'm in. Maybe you already, your children already grown into adulthood and they are out on their own. Or maybe you are in a situation where you don't have any children that you are directly responsible for parenting. And, and, and when we come to a message and we hear that and we're in that situation, often the temptation for us is to immediately say, well, this message isn't for me today. But rest assured that it indeed has elements for all of us as we think about the job that God calls us to do in parenting children of all kinds of walks, including adults. You see, God is counting on us to pour our lives into those who are coming up behind us. And that might be through a form of mentoring, somebody who's younger than you. Maybe, maybe you are giving advice in the form of coaching, of somebody who's in your vocation who's coming in behind you. Maybe it's just through some really good uncle and aunting that this will happen. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about um, parenting from my own personal perspective and my faith perspective. Now I want to say something about what I'm going to do today. Today is not a how-to. So um, you're not going to go home with parenting techniques that work every time. Sorry, but you know we're going to work here at the church to do some of that kind of stuff to try to help you, give you the tools um, to, uh, to parent your, your children. That today is not a how-to, and let me tell you why. It's in the context of how it fits in the sermon series. Essentially, today's piece is stepping back and asking the question of ourselves even before we get to the how-to part this is foundational to that conversation essentially today i want to try to convince you that parenting is stewardship when we parent we are engaged in stewardship what do i mean by that it is that we do not own our children but 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 we need to recognize that our children really belong to god our children are god's children and they are on loan to us they are entrusted to us for only a season and you see our job is to be the best trustees in partnership with god of that gift that god has given us and it's for a finite period of time that we have the privilege of doing that stewarding trusteeship of human life So I'm going to give you a little disclaimer here today. Um, I'm essentially going to weave around my own personal story and journey of parenting um, our message today. So it might at times feel a little bit like when you run into that person who's a new grandparent and they hand you their phone with all kinds of pictures of that new grandbaby, right? It's going to feel a little bit like that because I'm going to talk about my kids, specifically about one of them today, and I'm going to do that without any apology. So I thought about parenting, and Pastor Katie, as we were working on this series, she goes, I think you really need to be the one who does this. So like um, most parents who hold their first child (laughs) for the first time, do some of you remember that? When our older son, Alex, was in the hospital, and I was holding him and getting ready to take him home, I looked to my wife, Debbie, and I remember saying this very distinctly. I have no idea what to do with him once we get him home how are we going to know what to do i mean there was no alex giffen owner's manual in the room and i have to admit it that there are times that i knew panic (laughs) as a parent what temperature does this bottle need to be do we need to change that diaper right this second yeah i mean all that kind of stuff should they should they sleep on their back or not you know i mean all that stuff that you have to do but over time we kind of settled into parenthood like parents do and uh, so much so that we enjoyed it, we added, uh, we added Christopher to the lineup a few years later. Now, of course, we were a little more secure the second time around. I mean, we learned a lot from having Alex, our older boy. We didn't need an owner's manual for a kid number two, we were sure. We've been down this road before we said it. And then we made this discovery. How in the world does God take the same basic genetic stuff and make very different creatures? Did you discover that? I mean, uh, the insights that we gained on the first kid didn't necessarily transfer and translate to the second kid, right? Didn't work. And some of you at three and four, uh, you know how it works down the line. But being a parent, having the privilege of being stewards of human lives is one of the most wonderful gifts. Debbie and I both know the awesome joy, and we have understood the awesome responsibility that God entrusted to us when God gave us our two boys. Many of you are aware that our journey to have children was very, very difficult. And so we do not take for granted the gift that those two boys are. And over the years, Debbie and I have tried to do the right things with our kids, In fact, we've done everything perfectly as parents. Do you believe that? We tried to bring our kids up in a loving environment. We tried to surround them with boundaries and guidance that seemed appropriate. We wanted our household to have a faith-centered environment. And so what we discovered in that is that the step before the how-to techniques is we discovered that parenting is really about nurturing the gifts that God has placed in our children. And somehow when we nurture their gifts, a lot of the other stuff seems to just work itself out. Nurturing their gifts. What does that mean? Of course parents nurture their gifts. Some, some are gifted musically. Some are musically inclined. Some are athletic. Some are dramatic. Let's face it, some are a little more dramatic than others, right? Some are thinkers. Some are just winsome. And then, of course, there's that rare one once in a while that's got all those qualities. And at some point in our parenting journey of our two boys, it dawned on us that, that we needed to think about this giftedness that God had woven into our, our kids and think about it in a faith-centered kind of way. And began to think about those gifts in the context of the belief that they had been woven into them by God. And theologically, theologically, I began to think of those gifts from a more spiritual perspective and in the context of my being a steward a trustee of these two human lives what did it mean to try to nurture the gifts that god put there that's why i think i love psalm 139 so much i mean especially verses 13 and 14 i mean reminds you what i just read a moment ago it says um saying to god the psalmist writes for it was you who formed my inward parts you knit me together In my mother's womb, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So what I began to center a lot of my parenting around was how to nurture. How to nurture what God wove into them. How do we do that? Well, we took a bold step in um, our boys' lives. We recognized that that giftedness runs deep, so we tried to expose them to the kinds of things that would embrace their gift because there's this thing that we discovered You cannot tell somebody what their gift is and how they ought to use it. The way to nurture gifts is to expose them to the kinds of things that they'll discover them themselves and begin to use them. So as we began to explore that part of our parenting, all of a sudden our eyes were opened to seeing a whole new way of seeing our boys and I, I'm going to give you a, one example today. There are a whole bunch that I could give to you about parenting my boys, but just have time uh, for one. And I'm going to use an experience that we had with our son, our son, Alex. He's the older of the two. That doesn't mean that there aren't plenty of those who stood out with Chris. Um, he'll, have, he'll have his time in some sermon someday as well. And, of course, as he reminds his mom and dad, he already knows that he's the favorite, right? We began to see in Alex this gift, our older son. Compassion. Compassion. And and since he was really young, we saw that. I mean, as early as when he was in kindergarten, we learned from his kindergarten teacher that Alex was not doing very good work in the classroom. And she explained to us that Alex was rushing through his work, only doing mediocre work. And the reason he was doing that is because he wanted to get his finished so he could help a classmate who was struggling to get her work done he could not imagine the embarrassment that she was feeling because he knew that on the playground this girl who had some learning challenges were made was made, she was made fun of by a lot of the other children because she couldn't get her work done he couldn't stand that thought it was too much for him So he took it upon himself to help her even at the risk of not doing good work himself. His kindergarten teacher wrote us a little note about that, trying to help us be her partner and letting her be the teacher in the classroom and not him, right? And she wrote in at the end of that, in all my years of teaching, I've never had a child with this deep sense of compassion. He just couldn't help himself. So we paid attention to that. And we tried to help him be in places where he could express that In a good and healthy way and we would hear it every year when we'd have the parent teacher conference that would always come out I remember a fifth grade teacher we have a few of these treasures still at home fifth grade teacher wrote this to us on his report card in my many years of teaching i've not known a student who exhibited more compassion and other virtues than alex so the light bulb came on for us we recognized that we needed to expose our boys to the kinds of things that would help them embrace their god-given gifts We recognized that God placed something really deep within him. We wanted to help them discover it, and not tell them what it was. So, how did we do that? Well, with regard to this uh, gift of compassion, and Alex, one of the things we began to do is we began to take him when we served in mission outside of the United States in the poorest of the poor communities. We took him with us. His first experience was when he was 11 years old. At 11 years old, we took Alex to Mexico on a medical mission, and um, And as I could have predicted, he took to that kind of work like a fish to water. He was in his element. He was way more comfortable in his own skin than most of the adults who were on the team. He he began to engage with the local folks who came to the clinic in ways that had not been a part of our training. He wasn't afraid to move closely to those folks. And I, I even think that he didn't even notice there was a language barrier. He kept watching out for people who needed extra help. He especially watched for older folks who had walked for miles to come to the clinic and help them through the door. Frankly, he was the best teacher on the team I had in helping people overcoming hesitancy and uneasiness. And I was right. These experiences we did at least twice a year continued to develop that deep compassion in him, and he started to crave how he could serve. When he was 18 years old, um, he and I traveled to Vietnam. That's when the West Ohio Conference of the United Methodist Church was actively nurturing um, building new churches and bringing the United Methodist Church to the country of Vietnam. And we were there for two weeks um, visiting the home churches and the pastors there. Um, Alex and I rode, you know, those little motorbikes you see uh, in, in videos from Vietnam and Thailand and places like that in Southeast Asia. Um, we rode, each of us rode one of those motorbikes for a thousand miles From the north of vietnam down the south china sea all the way to saigon and then we ultimately ended up in the mekong delta visiting a home church and staying with those folks every every day so how does all of this play out in him now that he's an adult um he's going to have his 30th birthday this year greg can you believe that (laughs) 30th birthday this year how'd that ever happen but this 30 year old man invests the vast majority of his life not in himself but in other people, especially those who are suffering. He still goes to Mexico at least once a year. He's a volunteer with the students at the church where he works, and he plays a unique role on that team at that church. You see, he always seems to get assigned the students who are struggling with something really deep in their lives because he's so compassionate. I want you to notice something, that that my 30-year-old son is parenting teenagers and he's not their parent he gets it one of the parents of one of those kids who's now uh, probably towards the end of her college time said to us that she was going through something so very difficult when she was in high school and Alex poured his life into her in such a way that probably saved her life and here's the really rewarding thing about that by approaching my parenting from a faith perspective, uh, understanding that parenting is a stewardship issue and that I do not own my children, but rather I've been entrusted with them by God. They've grown to be adults who live out their lives in a way that God could have imagined. I think the big difference I saw in them that was rather than than this parenting style that I see a lot these days, where parents try to Force and mold their children to be the persons they want them to be or imagine them to be, is we decided to let God do the shaping into the persons God saw them. And you know what? Now, all these years later, I really clearly see God did a way better job than I could have ever done. Now, you might be thinking my sons are perfect. (laughs) They are not. We've had plenty of challenges and struggles along the way. They've made some bad decisions. They still make bad decisions for which they have to deal with the consequences. They absolutely do that. And I'm no way was a perfect parent. Now I'm gonna spare you all of the parenting mistakes I made along the way and I made plenty of them. I remember one time when Alex was probably in middle school I said to him i said you know alex i'm really sorry for all the errors that i that i am making as a parent that that are just gonna you know be a part of the, of, of your challenges as an adult my middle school boy said to me don't worry about it dad there's plenty of therapy out there to straighten out everything you mess up oh, our kids but you know what every once in a while god gives me a glimpse that maybe I did something right. Last week as you know, we were on vacation and I've got a glimpse of one of those glimpses that God gave me that I wanna show you. We were hiking at the Mohican State Park one day. Our boys were ahead of us in the trail and I looked up on the trail and um, I saw this, Tricia, and I just grabbed from my phone so I could get the camera as quickly as I could. Now, I'm not sure what those two were talking about. Um, I don't know what brought this on, But at the moment I looked up, two men, 25 and 30, my boys, for some reason reached over and took each other's hand. Didn't last very long, it was probably about 50 seconds. But you see, it was a legacy glimpse that maybe I did do something right. And that maybe something great will live beyond me and will happen through them. By the way, I do have their permission to show you this picture. You see i really want to build a legacy (laughs) i want to take seriously that that bit right what do you want on your tombstone i i'm trying to build a legacy in a, a variety of ways and one of those ways has been through my children but it's also been through the ways that i have recognized in my vocation as a pastor over the years that god has called me to mentor and coach Some of the younger clergy coming in behind me. And that's been one of the most satisfying parts of of my life to be able to do that. And and I hope that I'll be remembered as one who gave his life to others in such a way that it impacted the world. That when I'm gone, the world's got some better places because I did that. So gang parenting is not just about techniques. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. There's going to be incredible laughter and there's going to be deep weeping. It's a part of parenting, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, our kids become adults, and they're going to make their own decisions anyway. But we have this finite period of time when God hands us a human and trusts us to nurture that human so that person can impact the world based on the gifts that were woven into her or woven into him when they were fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And if we get that right, somehow a lot of the other stuff falls into place. As we've been thinking through this uh, series, we've recognized that the Trinity is a kind of church that has a lot of folks in it who are already working really hard to build a legacy that will last beyond them and into generations to come. And during the series we're going to try to give you a glimpse in some of our trinity family lives that are really actively working on that we want to begin that journey this week with the peters family you all know the peters i think uh, megan works in our office she's married to andrew and they have two precious uh daughters and we're going to have a little video that comes from andrew today and you know one of the things i've recognized about andrew and megan is their parents who really understand that they are stewarding two precious lives through their daughters um, one of the ways that i've seen that is the numerous times when they take special days, holidays, weekends, days off, and rather than doing something recreational, they will go out and serve somebody who is in need with their girls. That's what they do. Andrew had a dream. Andrew has a dream. And this video, he's gonna tell us about that dream. Trisha.
1: This year, we're hoping that we will have raised enough money to build our first orphanage. This all started by random chance through Trinity Kids. They were raising money to feed orphans through rice bowls and the church stood behind them in a fantastic fashion that led to shelly Knoll and i going on a mission trip to india to visit these orphanages that we were funding when we got there we found that some of the orphanages were barely able to afford rent though rice bowls was taking care of a hundred percent of their food budget rice bowls was limited in their charter to only care for the nutrition of all these children So we came home and it broke my heart as I hugged my own children, thinking that the children back there were going to be sent back into poverty, starvation, forced labor, child trafficking, the worst of scenarios. I mean, once you've held their hands, you've heard their laughter, played their games, prayed with them, and seen the purest devotion to Christ, they're no longer just statistics. So we decided to start the foundation for change. This is a nonprofit that would come alongside rice bowls and help pay for the ancillary things that they were unable to handle. The funny part is, is that the only money that we could find to contribute was actually barely enough to get the paperwork started. I kept thinking, how are we going to ever be able to afford to do anything good if we can't even afford to start the uh, mission? But then I was having coffee with Glenn Himes. He was thrilled that we were going to try to do something to help support these orphanages and pay their rent. But he said that one key thing. He said, that's great, but how are you going to make it permanent? Well, that thought festered. And if after years of working towards our goal, we're hoping that this year will be the year that we can officially build our first orphanage. This will be a permanent structure that 25 kids will be able to call home. Nobody can cancel a lease. Nobody can tell them that they're unwanted. Nobody can shut down the doors just because they didn't fit a profile. And when they're long gone and bringing the gospel to their own families, those beds will still be there for the next generation. You know, it's funny. I was asked to talk about how my faith has influenced this work. But in all honesty, our work has been what has influenced my faith. It has deepened the understanding that with God, all things are possible. I mean, this was a program that was influenced by children. It was encouraged by a generation that lived long before me. And it's being supported today through the generation of my peers. To be honest with you, I don't know what it means to leave a legacy but I'm learning through the help of Christ that we can be a conduit for others to leave their legacy. And Lord willing, my children will see this and they'll learn to steward their passions for the betterment of those to follow.
0: We have some uh, real gifted folks here at Trinity and this is the kind of things that we're beginning to see. That's what it means to leave a legacy. When he said we, he wasn't talking about Trinity. He was talking about he and his wife and they've begun this foundation. One of the things in that video, actually there's so many things in that video that touched me when I saw it, but one of them was when he mentioned Glenn Himes. I'm not sure everybody knows who Glenn is. He's a member of this church, he's in his 90s. Glenn Himes was parenting Andrew, right? In the midst of his dream to leave a legacy. And he reminded us that it's often through serving that our faith grows. And he's insistent that his children, his two precious daughters, that their gifts will be nurtured too. Uh, Thankful for people like them. Thankful for people like you. You'll hear more of those stories to come. Uh, God bless you. Uh, Thanks for being here today. Um, Chris, let me look at where we are here. Yep. Um, We're going to have just a little bit of music to bring us to a close. Have a great week. God bless you. and, And we'll see you next week.